is Hard Parking, brought to you by Right Honda and Right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Jay Finning. Hoping all of you in the United States, like myself, had a happy Memorial Day weekend. What did we do? We went to the lake. That's went to the lake two weeks in a row. Coming up on today's show, though, is Jimmy Jett of the Snail Trail 4x4 podcast. He's going to talk to us a little bit about off-roading. As you know, I've tried to do some off-roading myself, not with a lot of success. In fact, even this last weekend, uh, my son tried to take his... So he wanted to go to the lake. So he grabbed his dogs, grabbed his friend, Daria, who they're just friends. They are inseparable, but they are just friends. So whatever you want to call it, kid, got in a little car and wanted to go to the lake. So we got in our car, and my brother-in-law grabbed his family, got in their car. Thought he wanted to venture off, though, find, like, this really hideaway cove that we had heard about last time we were on the boat. We ended up going a little off-road, and it really wasn't much. More fire trails, for those of you who know what that is. It's kind of a few rocky roads, uh, primitive roads is what they're called, them. But we're not doing any rock climbing or any Moab stuff or anything crazy like, like Jimmy does all the time. So a lot of fun. A lot of fun getting lost. Drove around for a couple hours, decided this was not the direction we wanted to go. So what did we do? We turned around, went right back to the water where we should have been the first time. That was our weekend. Cooked a little ribs for the family. Family came over, uh, watched Maverick. Saw Maverick. Excellent movie. It's got a 99 by the people, which is pretty cool. The critics went from 97 to 96, but a movie like that, I'm shocked. The critics loved it so much. It wasn't, it's not like it's a bad movie. It's an awesome movie, but usually and it just doesn't seem like a movie that critics would like that much, but they loved it. Uh, you don't have to have, you don't have to watch the original Top Gun to understand the movie. They do an excellent job of filling in those gaps for those who forgot or just are too young to remember or just whatever the case. It helps if you watch the first movie, if you watch Top Gun, but it is a, an 80s a macho type of movie or every kid they watched it wanted to join the Navy so they could fly the jets. Almost every kid, everybody was Maverick or goose. But one of the things, so I was watching it with my brother-in-law this weekend, we were watching top gun, not Maverick. I saw that already, but he didn't cause he's younger than I, than I am. He didn't really realize there's so many pop culture one-liners that came from that movie. There's so many songs that are so popular that people know the words to they don't realize it. It launched from the original movie, the soundtrack music. It's just, it's, it's crazy. But I won't waste any more of your time. Right after this word from uh, Four Wheel Online, we'll get to Mr. Jimmy Jett of uh, Snail Trail 4x4 Podcast. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so go get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4WheelOnline or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's 4WheelOnline, the number 4, Wheel Online. This conversation is brought to you by The Cell Shop, an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice for wireless services, whether Arizona or Washington State. They are an authorized AT&T detailer, so visit them at cellshop.us, at C-E-L-L-S-H-O-P.us. 
and get connected today. With over 300 episodes, top 1% of all podcasts, according to listennotes.com, which means they're at least 40,000 better than I am. 26,000 subs on YouTube. Mr. Snail Armor, Snail Trail, 4x4, Jimmy Jet. What's up? How's it going today? It's going good. Hopefully I didn't get any of that stuff wrong. I'm probably a little low on some of those numbers. They're close enough. I, I'm not close too particular enough. on those things. I don't, it doesn't matter that much. I think we're about to release 300 coming up here and... You know, well, I don't know how when you're going to release this episode, but yeah, in the next few days we're releasing our 300th episode, and then yeah, I'm somewhere around 26,275 videos on YouTube or something. Yeah, that's that's a pretty exact number uh, on the the videos. Snail Trail four by four. So we've connected on on Instagram back and forth. Yep. I don't know if it was on some forum. Or if it was like Clubhouse or something. It was cl- yeah. we originally uh, crossed paths on Clubhouse in a podcasting uh, room. Yeah. Do you still do Clubhouse? No, I do not. I think it's still a thing. I haven't logged into Clubhouse in months. Yeah i I was looking at trying to figure out if there was a way for me to figure out, like get four by fouring content onto Clubhouse, and I I didn't see it as a good avenue. I found it difficult to really connect. It was almost more of a, I love you. I love you too. Everybody, let's love each other and follow these 10 people on stage and none of them are going to follow you back. And I was just like, you know, I just, I mean, I met some cool people on there. Obviously, that's why we kind of connected initially. It's just, I don't know. For me, it didn't work. I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but um, I'm glad we at least connected on there, which brings us to where we are today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Clubhouse was a great spot for those that are trying to teach um, like how to do better podcasting or how to do better YouTubes or how to be a better speaker, you know, but, um, at least for in the off-road scene, I'm trying to teach somebody how to, you know, be a better wheeler. It wasn't really a good avenue. There's, you need way more visuals than two people 100%. talking. Mm-hmm. I used to join one called like ask the experts podcasters on lunch hour. And I would listen. And I'm like, what makes you the experts? Yeah. And then I'd kind of go around and like kind of like podcast creep on them, like look them up and look up their stats and listen to them. I'm like, eh, good, good, terrible, shitty, worst thing ever. What makes you the experts? But yeah. no, I, I agree. It was a good audio format, but as far as visual for something like what you do, 100%. Yeah, I did feel there was a few times. I agree with you. There was a there was definitely <laughs> a few times when I was like, so you have... 40 episodes on podcasting out and you're talking about how to become a better podcaster. Right. And you know, it's like I'm running into the problem where we have 300, we have more than 300, we have like 325 episodes and iTunes only shows you 300 episodes. So we are oh. like zero through 25 aren't showing up anymore. So we're now making a season one, you know, of like, that'll have maybe the first hundred episodes and then, our current one that we're doing right now, you know, we'll have from 100 to, you know, 300 ish. So it's, you know, like I want that answer. How many people can answer that? You know, and it's like, I'm reaching out to these, you know, some of these large podcasters that have, you know, 500 episodes that are showing it on iTunes. And I'm like, Hey, help me out. I know I'm a small fry compared to, you know, you guys, but you figured this answer out and, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that yet. And those people on clubhouse are with 40 episodes, you know, or like, I don't know. I mean, it shows 300. I'm going to get there in a few years. No, that's a, that's funny. I've, I've, I've seen people number 562, but I haven't scrolled back to see where the, where the bottom 200 of them are. Right. 
Yeah. Usually on um, a lot of platforms, it'll say, you know, like they're on, you know, it'll say their title 562, you know, love and life and it's a dream or whatever. And, but at the top, it'll say like, you know, this podcast has X amount of uh, episodes and it'll, you know, show how, you know, if they only have 300 showing, it'll say 300 up top. So, so yeah. before we get into the details of who you are, cause okay. I want to know who you are. I've watched a, a couple of your old YouTube. I found one. It was like one year anniversary. I go, Oh, you just started doing a year ago. But I was like, Oh wait, he posted this in 2018. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was way more than a year ago. But you know, um, you and Tyler Larson, mm-hmm. I'm saying his last name right. Yeah. So the introduction, and I sound, I feel dumb for asking this based on the introduction to every episode. Okay. But is it truly just Toyota only? Because it seems like you guys talk about more, even though you have Toyos. Yeah, we, we talk about Toyotas, and that's like our our main focus. Um, we do talk about a lot of other brands. Um, like we've had um, the discussion of the Rivian, you know, kind of has been uh, one that's been popping up recently. You know, we talk about the new Jeeps and whenever there's a, you know, a change in that platform and their new motor that's coming out. And, you know, we we cover a lot of uh, random topics, but we're primarily right. Toyota based. Right. And a lot of the uh, like topics that we'll cover in, in regards to off-roading, whether it's maintenance or repair, you can apply to any of Anything. your vehicles. You know, so even though we're, you know, talking about how to, you know, pull out the drain plug on a 22RE engine, you know, that you know, learning how to find the drain plug and pull it out for you to do an oil change and how to do the oil changes, you know, it'll work on any platform. Is the forerunner still the only SUV that's built on a truck platform or do we have others? No. Uh, I mean, the Sequoia is built on the Tundra platform. Um, oh, no kidding. And I believe the, uh, the new series, the new 300 series land cruiser is on the, um, Tundra platform as well, but we don't have the 300 here in America. Um, let's see. I don't know what the RAV4 is built on. I think the RAV4 is, uh, probably like a Camry chassis or something. I'm not, I'm not positive, but, um, yeah, the Tacoma and the Forerunners do share a very, uh, similar platform in, uh, in regards to the frame. Yeah, that's good to know. There was uh, I had an Uber driver and I was, I was pointing out a, a, a Forerunner and I was like, man, that's a nice looking nice looking vehicle right there. And he stared at it for like 30 seconds, 30 seconds of silence. And then he gave us his opinion on him. You know, that's the only one that did it. I was like, Oh, maybe I'm a, I, I know someone who I'm going to ask to kind of fact check that. But so we have basically that in the Sequoia, which is, it's interesting. So I could, I could go buy a Sequoia and go off-roading with it, with maybe a couple mods. It's very capable, obviously, because it's built off the Tundra, mm-hmm. which can pull a space shuttle. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I saw that, that was a video. commercial like ten years ago. Right? <laughs> yeah, shit like that sticks in your head. It does definitely. Yeah, we were uh, just talking to um, uh, Iron Man four x four, and they were uh, saying how the new Land Cruiser is out all over the world, and it shares the same platform as the Tundra, the new Tundra that's coming out, the twenty twenty two Tundra, and so they've already like putting in new shocks and testing geometry and uh, preloads uh, and rebounds is pretty much sort of dialed for the land cruiser so when the tundra comes out here they already kind of have the platform set up they just need to modify some of the uh, rebound and suspension work to make sure that it works so that you know they're already kind of covering their bases that way so it's neat to have a platform that covers you know like the tundra frame works for the land cruiser and the sequoia and 
you know, and then you get companies that build platforms for all three of those as easily as just building it for one. So we're done with the Land Cruiser here, right? Our, but is it going everywhere else in the world? Kind of like you have the Toyota Helix that we never gonna, we're never going to get here. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the Land Cruiser, it, for some odd reason, they killed it in America. It's done. But it is, I mean, it's right now it's released in um, the Middle East, and I think it's released in Australia, and I'm not sure if it's anywhere else out there. But, yeah. And then I don't, you know, the Tundra might only be an American version of a truck where the Hilux, you know, is everywhere else in the world but America. Oh, it's Hilux. I'm calling it Helix. Yeah, same difference. People yeah, say but if it's if you say Hilux, Mister Four by Four, it's it's Hilux. Yeah, I I say Hilux. I'll probably get corrected though. We'll see. I doubt it. <laughs> Hilux, Helux, Tomato, Tomato. No, when it comes to proper names, it can only be that name, in my opinion. Sounds good. Uh, we'll go with yeah, Hilux. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about the podcast in general. I mean, you guys started what three years ago? Like, yeah. Why, why did you guys start? Well, yeah, that's a good question. So we originally started on another pla- another podcast called the High Sierra 4x4 podcast, and they were all Jeeps, 100%, like Jeep owners, like buy a Jeep, throw full like one-ton axles underneath it and throw 40s on it, and that's your Jeep and go out and wheel. And they were slowly uh, fading away, we'll say, and uh, we realized it, and we knew they were in the area close to us in the Sacramento area. And so we reached out or my buddy, Tyler, the co my co-host Tyler was on their podcast. I think he was even on, he was on like number 250 or somewhere pretty high up there. And then we got to talking with him about, Hey, you know, let's relieve some of your stress. Like let us do every, every other episode and we'll do Toyota content. And then that way you can have different content on your platform. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. And then eventually it turned into us doing every other episode and they were just re-releasing old episodes mm-hmm. that they had already talked about. And so we were like, hey, I think we're done, but I think we're going to start our own thing. You know, it doesn't seem like you're really too much more interested in it. And they tried to, at some at one point, they wanted us to take over their platform. And we really, we were, it was interesting. We, we went into discussions about it, but we also have our own brands. And so... We didn't want multiple brands, you know, affiliated with our name. So we eventually said, no, I think we're going to do our own thing. We're going to start the Snail Trail 4x4 podcast because we already had the Snail Trail 4x4 YouTube channel. And then, uh, and then, yeah, that's sort of where it came from is, you know, we got our baby steps or our training wheels with this other podcast. And then we jumped into doing them ourselves. And then our first few podcasts were going two, two and a half hour long podcasts where we do a lot of talking about a main topic and then we'll talk about what we've been doing. And eventually we said, you know what, let's just split this into two episodes and we'll do a main topic and then we'll talk about what the heck we've been up to. And that's pretty much how we blasted um, up to around 300 episodes, even though we've only been doing it just over three years, I think on our own, but doing two a week really makes it seem like we we got a lot of episodes out there in a short amount of time. How have you avoided podcast fatigue? I think that relying on a co-host really helps. And, you know, sometimes I will be tired or not have an idea and he'll come forth with energy and have an idea of what we want to talk about. And then vice versa, you know, he'll be tired and, 
you know, I don't know what we want to talk about this week. And then I'll be like, well, I have this idea and this idea and this idea. Let's, you know, let's figure something out. And I do think that, um, that helps a lot. Definitely. If you have somebody to, you know, banter with or bad ideas back and forth against that, you know, that's, that's a big help. Um, and I don't know why we haven't ran out of ideas on what to talk about. For some reason we all, you know, we're 150 episodes of main topics, you know, and there's still things we want to talk about. Like we've never really had a tire sponsor or a tire, uh, I said sponsor, but I meant more like a, a podcast based on tires and talking sure. about tires and the makeup of tires and, you know, the rubber compounds and how to figure, you know, dependent or figure out lugs, the lug size of a, you know, changing from a 33 to a 42, you know, and all like all these questions we have about tires and like, we've never had anybody to talk to, you know, in regards to that. And so that's one of the things we're working on right now. And, um, you know, there's just, endless amount of questions and there's a whole bunch of uh like racing there's a lot of off-road racing there's the king of the hammers there's ultra four racing there's we rocks rock crawling so there's just a lot that goes on in the off-road community that continues to light a flame under our rear ends i guess how would you describe your relationship because when i listen to you guys you're completely opposite personality type <laughs> i mean obviously you're both four by four driven you've been doing this for years together and, and even before you did snail trail when you were doing the other one, you know, how, how do you guys meld? Because you sound completely, he sounds, is he more of the technical as far as computer and it? Because when you go to the website, everything has his name on it. Uh, yeah, for the most part, he, um, to some extent, we're both marketing guys. We're both grew up or like our day jobs were marketing. Um, oh, wow. yeah. And so we have that as the, our backgrounds. He's definitely a he's definitely more on the technical side than I am. I'm more on the fabrication side, I think a little bit than he is, though he's quickly catching up to me. Sure. He's doing some, building some really cool stuff right now in the shop. But you know, it's like he didn't know how to pull apart an axle and I was one of the first person that showed him how to do that. So, um, but yeah, so I don't, I think that we kind of have uh we differ in those aspects, but because of that we help feed each other, you know, and build each other up you know, one way or another. Whereas, you know, I'm more of a graphic designer and he was more of the marketing. And so we can both work together on that aspect. And yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, his name's on a lot of the podcasting side of the, on our website. But, you know, if you go to the YouTube, um, you know, blogs or whatever, my name's it's on all you. that one. So yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. I think that we have beneficial complementary features or I don't know what like qualities that help us, you know, uh, in the podcasting and YouTube scene and marketing and business. Cause we both have our own businesses now too. Cool. Well, have you heard about anchor? The a podcasting platform? Yeah. We're going to talk about it right now. And when we okay. get back, we're going to finish this conversation. Good. Teach yeah, me so about anchor. All right. So here's the deal. Talk to me about snail trail, the name, because I've, I've heard snail trail before and it had nothing to do with four by fouring. No, it definitely doesn't. Um, and to be bluntly honest, I had no idea what the urban dictionary form of that word <laughs> yeah. was before. A lot of people probably don't. I started uh, this. I originally, it was like, I, 
we go slow. We we don't mm-hmm. like rock crawling. It you could hike the trail faster than you could drive the trail. Like we, you know, we go one mile an hour, maybe average across a trail. Like super slow. And so I wanted something, some sort of icon that represented going slow. You know, and there's already a, a phenomenal company out there called Marlin Crawler that has a turtle. So I was like, well, can't use the turtle. Right. You know, and so I fell into uh, a snail. I don't, you know, it was just another another item that I could, that goes slow. And um, and then I f- was like, well, when the snail crawls along, you know, it leaves a gooey, nasty mess, a trail. Uh, and when mm-hmm. we drive, we leave a trail of tracks, in, you know, from our right. tires. So, and then... Um, a friend of mine pointed out what the what the name meant, and I was like, yeah. "I'll add four by four to the end." Yeah. <laughs> Snail Trail Podcast. People are like, "Oh, this is going to be great." Yeah, right. Yeah, rated X. <laughs> no, I I think it's brilliant actually because I, I I had a good laugh at it when I was looking at it. I was like, "Huh," but just as you described, when you watch the rock the rock crawling, you can it, it's literally one front wheel and then you have to bring along the rest because mm-hmm. not only could you probably not go faster but if you tried your, your vehicle would just blow up and fall apart yeah to some extent yeah um some vehicles are made to go fast you know we got the king of the hammers racers out there that you know do 200 miles in a matter of hours and with rock crawling trails you know uh, mine's not <laughs> mine's right. mine's definitely a, a crawler it goes slow i enjoy going out to the trails that have a technical aspect of off-roading and I have to figure out how to get through th- this obstacle and, you know, with the vehicle I have. And, uh, it takes me, you know, a, a quite a bit of time sometimes to look at it and figure out my line and how I want to go. You're not saying a lot of ums or uhs. You've been doing this for a long time. How did you become better at your craft? Because a lot of people, they say, I don't know if I could podcast. I don't like listening to my own voice, blah, 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 blah. I never, and then, and we know we've been in a bunch of podcast groups. There's people who say, I don't edit. I don't even listen to my own stuff. It's more organic. It's more raw. It's more real. And I'm like, no, you don't have to heavily edit, but you have to at least understand what you're saying. Because as a listener, I don't want to be your social experiment through audio. I want to have something good. Like how have you gotten so fluid, I guess, over the years? Yeah, it's, a, that's also a, a great question in regards to um, just practice, I guess, you know, a lot of repetition and you know i guess starting with youtube you really watch what you do and watch what you say and sometimes go over things five six seven eight nine ten times before you get an intro or an outro that you appreciate so yeah i think that you know in regards to youtube it was a great stepping stone for me to do podcasting i mean youtube is way harder than doing podcasting. There's a video side of it that doesn't happen in podcast land. But I also go back and listen to all of my episodes and look at how what I've said and when I said something, how did I interrupt somebody? When am I saying um or like or things like that? You know, these little phrases that people put in there that uh, allow a pause in the audio so they can think and uh figure out what they want to say next. Do you ever send, well, actually I know you do because we've, we've sent them back and forth of voice notes. Do you listen to those back when you get done sending them? No, I'd probably laugh at myself. 
So I, my buddy Wes and I, we, we send them all day, every day. And every single voice note I send, I listen back to because sometimes like, you can always read and, and when the autocorrect happens, it's like, no, I meant for, not or. But when you send a voice, you, you don't, you can't see that. So I always kind of go back. It's like, Hey, uh, I know I sounded like an asshole. I wasn't trying to things like that, but I think it's, it's still kind of the same thing, right? You, you listen to your delivery and it's funny when you're talking about something you're passionate about, you make less errors when you have to come up with things on the fly. It's a lot of filler words, ums, uhs, you know, you yeah. Know, yeah. That makes you sense. Know. I, you know, if you're talking about something you want to talk about or, you know, intimately, then you'll be able to flow. If you're, you know, speaking out of your rear end, you're probably saying a few ums, uts, and what's, and what have yous. Or if you're not prepared, like I give my wife shit all the time because she comes in and she's a she's a banker, corporate banker, and she starts telling me stories about conversations that she's had with people and like, 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 and I've tried to help her with it, and I start saying like, and she stops. She's like, you know, you're a jerk. I go, no, no, no. I'm trying to help you here. Because it's literally like I was talking to Jimmy Jet and he's like he grabbed his microphone and he was telling me about like this. And so I said this and he's like, 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 I'm like, Jesus, man, it's like just it's like I just said, like, you know, it's just it's just about becoming a better speaker. And I think, you're, you know, you're really good at, at doing that. And it and it you can tell when you listen to your podcast, you can tell you guys are having a lot of fun doing it. Um, I wanted you on here because, as I told you on uh, social media a group of my my long friends and I decided to go. I'm giving him air quotes here. Off roading, okay, which I consider light off roading. A uh, big difference between that and true trails that are rated for hard four by four required versus two wheel friendly, and even rock crawling. And then the ultimate, I guess Moab is probably the ultimate in the United States for everybody. It's definitely up there. There's, uh, I would say that there's trails across the nation or uh, locations that are bucket list items for everybody. Uh, you know, there's places on the East Coast that I want to go to, and there's people on the East Coast that want to come out here and do the Rubicon. So, yeah, but Moab is a bucket list item for a lot of people. What's the craziest vehicle that you've seen work or a platform, because there's always somebody who like puts some crazy shit together. I think there's like a dually off-road, like Hellcat or something, just ridiculously stupid. But as far as you can look at something, you're like that Rav Four would never work, and you get out there on the trails, and all of a sudden you see like 50 Rav Fours, and you're like, I didn't think that would work. Like, what's the craziest, most, I guess, common of the non-traditionals that you see out and about? What's a really good non-traditional rock crawler? Yeah, or something you you never would have thought going into it. Because we all think, okay, Cherokee, right? Okay. We know Toyos can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, no one really thought about the Suzuki Sidekick except for it can go anywhere you want it to go. You know, just sure. maybe it's something you saw and you're like, huh, I can't believe that worked. Yeah, that I haven't thought of <laughs> That's a good one. Um, let's see. Uh, the Suzuki Samurais are great, but they're the super Samurai, tiny. I said Sidekick. Right? sidekick the, and, but is, the thing is that a lot of people steal things off the Sidekick and put it on their Samurai. So it's pretty okay. much a Sidekick. Uh, I would say that the, uh, and probably, you know, shooting myself in the foot here, uh, the Jeep uh, Wrangler platform is by far the most common off-road right. there is. I think the new Bronco is going to be outstanding off-road, but you don't we don't see many of them yet. yet. Uh but they're 
They're you know why, right? Let me interrupt you. You know why? Because yeah. people haven't paid them off yet. Probably. Well, to some extent, yeah. <laughs> and then you get the people that buy them and instantly cut all the suspension off and throw new stuff underneath. So, yeah. You know, nowadays it's a lot of Ford Raptors or um, Ford Rangers or the Chevy ZR2, which you don't normally see out there. Or maybe is there a Z? Is there a ZR4? I don't rem- I don't know the, the don't, Ford. I, I just know, but yeah, because those examples, I always think of those as either city crawlers or work trucks, like the Home Depot job site trucks. Not not necessarily, uh, you know, beginner trucks, but the contractor, the foreman, they want you to know that they have a little bit of pull, so they get like the lightly, the slightly nicer truck. Yeah, but I can't really see those crawling around either. But yeah. they, they're capable. No, they're completely capable. And like the Chevy Colorado now, I believe it even has the option to do front and rear lockers from factory, which n- almost nobody, I mean, there's very rear or a few platforms that offer something like that. So, you know, Chevy's definitely been upping their game uh, on the off-road scene just for that. When you lock your axle, can you explain to us what that does when you're going over terrain? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The, so there's really three f- ways to, uh, uh, for gain traction on your axles, right? There's an open differential, which, so when one tire starts to spin, you know, your drivetrain shoves all the power over to that one drivetrain. Then you have posi and limited slip, which kind of is the opposite. When one tire starts to spin, there's clutches inside the differential that throw the power to the other side. That's not spinning. And then you have a locker, which uh, there's mechanical, electrical, air lockers. There's a di- few different varieties. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what it does is it, let's talk about a mechanical run at th- just to make things easy. When one tire starts to spin, it locks stuff up in the differential and it makes both tires spin at the same rate at the same time. And so it completely uh, locks the axle up and just allows you to get oh. power on both sides at the same, same rate. Does that cause more stress? Is that something like no one, most people drive around unlocked then. It's just, it's, there's probably vehicles, work trucks, things that are designed to do more than just go on the street that probably just come with that. Or is that something most people have to install aftermarket? There's definitely vehicles that automatically come from that from the dealer. Uh, but the most people don't really look at it unless they do a lot of off-roading or go have a work truck that goes off into, you know, down a fire road and has to maintain power lines or something. They maybe are looking at it then. But if you're in the off-roading scene, you know, you're purchasing vehicles that have lockers for the most part. That's, you know, I bought a 2016 Tacoma and I specifically bought the TRD off-road package because that's the one that came with the locker. And that's what I, you know, when I go off-roading in that truck on my lightly off-road trails, you know, throwing my air quotes back at you. Uh, I've watched your videos. You're not lightly doing shit. <laughs> if that, if that trucks, that trucks only on 33s and has like a two inch lift. It's, it's really my, uh, going out with the family, uh, overland kind of style rig where if I take out the 91 Toyota rock crawler on 37s and solid axle swapped, that's, that one is, uh, trying to hit the hardest lines and drive over small Volkswagens or PT cruisers or whatever. I think I know what that looks like. So we went to this place called like Sheep's Bridge or whatever up here. Um, super fucking cool. But we're all struggling really slow going over these, taking our time. And, you know, we have a Tacoma. 
I mean, yeah, okay. we have a, we have two Tacomas, so they're capable. One of them's lifted, one of them isn't. We had an FJ Cruiser, which is you know capable, and then we had a Porsche yeah. Cayenne, which was stock height, but it had you know the the tires. So for everything we were doing, everything that we brought was capable. But we're looking, and there's this Toyota coming at us, and he's probably going 30 miles an hour. Or we're going five. The cab isn't moving at all. Just the suspension, right. and we're like, that dude's got that. This isn't his first rodeo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely people out there that build their rig for a specific purpose, and depending on which you know trails they're going on or where they live geographically, you do design your rig differently. You know, we just got back from Moab, and our rigs are not really designed for what Moab is, and we learned that by driving some of the trails out there and we're tall, like, you know, our vehicles are taller than average, uh, for vehicles out in Moab because out here in Northern California, we want to drive over big rocks and we need the belly height to, when we get over that rock that we don't get ourselves stuck where in Moab that you're doing a lot of really steep climbs or somewhat off kilter off camber turns. And when you're tall, that's, you want to roll over, you want to tip yeah, exactly. And your center of gravity is much higher. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it was an eye-opening experience. And next time we go out to Moab, I'm either going to try to figure out a different vehicle to take or m- figure out a way to lower my vehicle down so that I can go have some more fun out there on those trails. So for us, like I have I have a, a, a street crawler. I have an Infiniti FX50S. Okay. V8 5.0 liter. I took it on a soft off-road course. I was the one holding everybody back because it's bottoming out. I said, I either need to raise this thing up two or three inches and put some more meat on the tires and get smaller wheels because it comes with stock 21s. I'm thinking like 17 or 18s. I don't understand, and that's what I'm going to ask you. I don't know. People are like, oh, I got 33s. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can tell you street wheels. I know what an 18-inch wheel is. I know what a you know 35 series tire is. When people start saying 30s, 33s, 37s, I assume it has something to do with the the rubber, maybe, and the size of the tire, 33 inches tall. Like, I don't fucking know. But I don't – I wouldn't do that to my car. I, I was trying to decide whether I should turn it into, like, a fun, light rally, off-course, off-road thing or just keep it as a street car. But if I wanted to, what are some of the basics? If I wanted to maybe move it up to maybe a Cayenne level to where we can maybe clear – what are some of the things I need to do? And then explain to me what this whole 33, 37, all that stuff is. Yeah, that, that one's easy. That's just the diameter of your tire. So 30, or 33 inches is a 33-inch diameter tire. Okay. So it's it's straight and simple. And the, it's funny because the metric or the other system that you know, I have, I, I it's out of my mind. <laughs> I don't even know. When somebody goes, I got yes. two 70, 75, 17s, I'm like, I type it into Google and go, I like convert that to inches. Like what, (laughs) what is that? You know, um, let's see. So in regards to going off roading, I, well, first of all, I'd highly suggest if you're considering changing your rim size to go to 17, um, because there's more tires available for a 17 inch wheel than an eight inch, 18 inch wheel. Um, and then, yeah. And if you go down to 16, five or 16, there's still, there's just more variety of 
opportunity for a 17 inch wheel. And I don't know why that is. I think a lot of people go that in that area when you get up to a 40 inch then people start t- going to 20s or right you know even a 42 inch they i'm not trying to 20s. do bigfoot or bear claw whatever those things sure are. <laughs> sure right um if you're going off-roading it really i well first the th- first thing i always tell people to do is protection uh armor you know either bumpers rock sliders or skid plates underneath your right. vehicle because then you're a little bit more fearless in sure. trying to go somewhere. Cause if you have a skid plate underneath you, you're not going to be concerned about rolling over a rock and coming down on your transmission, you know, and, and snapping your, your drive right trains off. and exactly, or breaking into the oil pan right. if you don't have IFS. Um, let's see. So then in regards to then lifting your vehicle, you know, you do want bigger tires and to fit bigger tires, you have to add a lift typically. Um, if you're going to, change your tire size. I don't know what you have in, you know, your metric side is. So I bet I'm guessing you're somewhere around 31s, maybe even slightly smaller. But if you're going to lower your rim size, the benefit is you get more rubber between the rim and the top of the tire or the rim and the bottom of the tire. And so then we air down like lower than anybody ever thinks to. I, I typically, my tires are weird. I have load range E tires on a really lightweight truck and no beadlocks, which is a, um, a mechanical, well, not mechanical, uh, a, a way that we pinch the outside bead of a tire mm-hmm. on the exterior of the rim. But then we have a metal piece that you seal that the tire to the wheel so oh. that if you air down to like five PSI, it's not going to come off. Oh yeah. Where, yeah. And then like Hummers have a double bead lock. So the inner and outer get locked into place. But most, most wheels, when you say it's a bead lock wheel, it's only the exterior uh, bead that's locking into place. My, I don't know why it works, but my load range E Toyo tires, I, I take them down to five PSI, no bead locks and they hold on. And I wouldn't suggest most people do that, but for some reason it works on my rig. But if you're taking your rig off and you have like little, little tiny rubber band tires, you know, you can't air down you can't, to you can't do shit. 20, 15, 10 PSI yeah. because then you're just going to bounce onto your rims. So the more rubber you can get between your uh, wheel, it starts, and then the softer you can make it, it starts acting as another level of suspension. Sure. So you got the your wheel tire combo taking some of the bouncing away, and then you then you go into your suspension, working as a suspension and softening your ride from there too. A vehicle specific application or universal? Because I know that you know, there's a lot of vehicle specific things for off roading, but in some cases there isn't. I know in the aftermarket car world, you know, universal applications are kind of frowned upon for a lot of things because they're universal. So. Okay. Um, you never know how well they're made, what you have to drill into them. And if you have to drill into them and you kind of sacrifice the structural integrity a little bit versus things that are vehicle specific. But I mean, are there any universal brands that you've seen that you're like, Oh, all right, if that's all you got. That's cool. Or is this kind of like, if it's not vehicle specific, find another vehicle. In regards to what Avenue, I mean, are we talking about suspension, uh, like adding sus- suspension, lowering okay. kits, rate, well, not lowering, raising kits, you know, heights, stuff like that. Cause I've looked yeah. before and I'm like, you know, I've had a buddy say, well, just look for this brand. I'm like, I typed in my vehicle for that brand and it came up. But then when I looked, it was universal. So I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to mess with that. Yeah. I don't deal with 
universal stuff that often. I think most of the vehicles that I I do work on is like they are specifically made for lifting that vehicle, you know, and a lot of trucks have specific lift kits for right. them. You know, I think you're you're in an interesting uh you're going in an interesting direction where you're trying to possibly lift a vehicle that typically isn't ever lifted. Right. You know, I think most people take your vehicle and want to slam it down and put it on airbags or something and, you know, throw sparks out the back of it when they're dragging trail or, or a tail or something like that, you know? Um, so I, I think you might only, your only opportunity might be a universal kit because nobody probably makes something for it. Should I? Cause yeah, I've, I've done a lot of research and as far as uh, skid plates and things, that's something I would probably have to pay a fabricator good money to take care of for me because I just haven't seen a lot. Um, Sometimes you can borrow things from other vehicles and kind of fabricate it to fit yours. You know, you're a fabrication guy. You know, what are some of the things you've had to fabricate that you could have bought? Or would you, if you could buy it, you'd rather just buy it and not fabricate it? Yeah, I usually, I have this argument with Tyler, my co-host, quite often. I would buy something that's already done because it just saves me time. Yeah. Where fabricating's fun. And it, it, you learn whenever, every single time you fabricate something. But people have designed things specifically for whatever you're buying. And they've already done a lot of the legwork for you. And for me, it's always, it just is somewhat faster and saves me time if I just buy it and get, and then I can move on to the next little project. So I always, I had, I usually lean towards the purchase over build if it's available for me. So if I want to, I want to find, I, I've decided I decided on that trail when we went to the sheet bridge. I kept talking to the driver and we were laughing about it the whole time. I feel like we spent an hour saying street build, off-road build. And we all decided the next time we do this, we're just going to rent a bunch of like razors and just yeah. because people were flying past us in those. But if I wanted to just pick up a sidecar, what should I get? What, you know, what, what are the three vehicles I should look at? Because Everybody's learning the secret now. Prices are going up. And just like I said earlier, the Suzuki, Suzuki uh, what I saw, the Sidekick, but it's really the Samurai. Which, by the way, isn't the Sidekick kind of like the – that was like the primary competitor, I think, to like the Geo Tracker. Yeah. They were, they were like super similar. I think yeah. They might even have shared part of the platform. And the Samurai looks kind of like a micro Wrangler. Yeah. Yeah. I think Geo uh, – the Geo platform like leased the rights to use some – part of Suzuki's platform for that collaboration. Oh, I'm not probably. Sure they were very similar back in the day. When I was in high school, like yeah. that's what all, all the chicks had that. And it was like, oh, cool. She's got a tracker. She has a Miata, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, give me a price range. What I mean, if you were going to say, go out and buy. I want to drop know, five grand on somebody on probably a project someone's probably bailed on. That's probably all I'm going to be able to do. And then from there, I'm going to scale up, obviously. Sure. Okay. I would definitely look into... You know, for five grand, you're going to find a junker, sure. first of all. <laughs> you know, especially now, the goal. their prices are so high yeah. uh, on anything that's somewhat decent. Um, you know, you're going to find something that's going to need a lot of, lot of love. So I would, I mean, I would look for a Toyota. Sure. You, that's what I would look for. And if you can, uh, find, I mean, the golden year on a Toyota, which you will never find for five grand, is a 1985 
or night, excuse me. Yeah. 1985 Toyota pickup. Cause that was the last year of the solid front axle. And that's the first year that they came out with uh, fuel injection. That's the back so to the future get, truck. Uh, I think, yeah, I think I need to confirm this, but I do think that the back to the future truck was a second gen. And I think it was an 86. Okay. Cause the movie came out in 85 and it was brand new. So it probably wasn't 86, but yeah, I'm not, I need to look, I want I, I should know, I should know that answer. <laughs> um, but I would also say, look at a Cherokee. Because an older school four liter Cherokee, those four liter motors will never die. They're a phenomenal motor. The only reason that I know of that the reason or that they stopped making that four liter is because it was not feasible for smog anymore. But it's an excellent motor and it's bomb proof. So those old school Cherokees are definitely good. They also come with a solid axle up into, you know, for, for, I think they only ever made them in solid axle. I don't think a Cherokee had independent suspension and so i like solid axles mainly it's a rougher ride but the way that it works is when one tire is going up the axles forcing the other tire down hmm. and so when you lift a tire or you're climbing a wall or a it's rock grip because of the force the force is pushing the other tire down onto the ground so you can continue to get traction and continue to move huh. we're independent you might limit some of your, uh, you know, you might be lifting and it's lifting your vehicle off the ground that only that one tire is lifting, but it, you might not be getting all that, um, force being pushing downwards on the other side. So I'm a fan of solid axles. Now solid, um, independent suspension is way smoother of a ride on fire roads or, you know, a uh, desert out in the middle of nowhere. It's definitely hands down a better ride quality. It's just, if you want to level up your rock crawling game, mm -hmm. you're going to be looking for solid axles. I had a, a 2000 Cherokee sport that I fucking hated. Yeah. I had a, my very first vehicle when I was starting to learn how to drive was a, like a 1984, 85 Cherokee just a, an original blank Cherokee. And it was, we turned that, like it was my parents' mm -hmm. vehicle, right? But that, we literally turned that vehicle into the government as a lemon. Like they gave us, they paid us to take the vehicle off the road. It was so bad. And then we ended up getting a 90 Toyota pickup V6 with a 3.0. And that's where my Obsession love became. for Toyotas came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had one wheel that spun. And when I put it in like all wheel drive or whatever mode, it just made this loudest noise. So I never kept it in there for more than three seconds because I probably bought it busted, but I don't know if that's just the way they were supposed to be loud, obnoxious. I wouldn't think so. No, no, they're not. Well, they're not supposed yeah, to. Yeah, It made a lot you know, of noise. Well, and I that's, that shit off real quick. you know, and that's another thing that people don't really think about. They'd say, you know, like if you just go out and you buy, you know, you get an old school Cherokee, you know, when you're in two wheel drive, you really only are in one yep. wheel drive, right? You know, you have one wheel pushing it and depending on how, what you have in the differential that I talked about earlier, if you, and typically they're open carriers. So it, it's only pushing on one side. Well, when you put it into four wheel drive, yeah, it's now you got power going to the front, but you, you still only are, are one wheel drive in the front. So you're only technically two wheels pushing. Huh. And that's when you need to really start adding the, the you know, posi traction or a locker up in the front to get you get you all the, the tires spinning at once. Or you can do some brake tricks, like putting putting some power down, putting some brake pressure on, and it'll start throwing power to the other side because it's locking them up. So 
Yeah, I had to sell it because my son started driving, and we lived in Michigan. And I was like, this kid's going to kill himself in this car. I can't, I can't even go around the corner in this one wheel because someone had lifted it. It looked awesome, but it just didn't. Right. It just, mm-hmm. and then I didn't know shit, so maybe I had to get on and pull like a link thing out, and maybe it would have been doing the, the off-road thing. I have no idea. Or maybe someone just built it to make it look cool and had no idea what they were doing. That's usually the case. Yeah. Tell us about snail armor really quick. Is that all you? Sure. There's, there's a lot of stuff that you have. Yeah. I'm like, I think this is this guy. I think this is this guy's, man. Yeah. yeah. Snail Armor is me. So um, there's another company out there, and I'll just, you know, uh, that it makes a plastic tailgate cover. Uh-huh. And I didn't want plastic. I thought it was, I thought I just, I used my tailgate as a tailgate, and I used my truck as a truck. And so I made an aluminum replacement for the wavy plastic tailgates for Tacomas because it, I use, I go out camping, you know, I use it as a workbench. I just, you know, use the tailgate all the time. And the, the waviness of a tailgate, the tailgate panels that they put there on the Tacoma, just, it was horrible. I my camp stove's feet were the perfectly wrong length to sit on the high side of the, of that section. It was always at a funky angle sliding off. And so I drew up a pattern and um, got some aluminum. My buddy had an aluminum cut out for me, and we started making prototypes. And I posted it up on social media. And well, I got a powder coat, but then I posted it up on social media, and people are like, "Hey, that's right. cool. I want one." And it sort of snowballed from there. And now, you know, I'm selling. I have uh, third gen Tacomas, second gen Tacomas, and uh, second gen Tundras tailgate panels. And I'm about to come out with first gen forerunners, second gen forerunners, and uh, gladiators. Uh, those will probably be out in a matter of months. So I would think at this point you went from fabricating it yourself to now you have people who can fabricate it for you using your design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I um, work with a company down in LA that laser cuts the panels out, and then um, and they buy the aluminum and everything for me. So. Uh, they get that done. They ship it up here, up to Northern California, and I have another off-road company uh, that is in the area that does all the powder coating for me. And then it comes back to me, and I do the laser etching on the panel, and um, I do custom laser etching whenever uh, people reach out to me and say, like, you know, I want my own Instagram right. handle on there, or I'm I'm a big fan of you know uh, Pokemon or whatever, and then they want some design on there that's some Pokemon logo and. You know, I just recently bought a laser etcher that's really massive and I can do pretty much almost etch the entire panel now. So, you know, I've I've been doing some really intricate, cool designs lately. And people can buy those at where? Yeah, you can go to snailarmor.com and uh, check out what's available for you. And if you want a custom one, it's probably best just to email me. And you can email me at jimmy at snailtrail4x4.com that I said earlier. And then we can work for, you know forward on a design that you would like um the hard part is people will like just straight up send me a jpeg picture you know with like a thousand colors and different fades and things like that and it doesn't i can't etch that it needs to be straight up black and white you know hard lines no no grayscale or anything it just you know because all the laser does is it's just removing the paint and exposing the aluminum that's it's got to basically be a coloring book drawing yeah. Right? It's just black lines and blank mm-hmm. space for you to scribble across if you're three years old. Yeah. I am I am working on trying to figure out if I can 
shoot some grayscale. It's kind of, now that I got a really fun laser, I'm figuring out how to take the laser beam, which, you know, is super thin, but I'm trying to figure out how to fade it down to nothing mm. and see if I can start to create, like have it not completely burn the paint away at some points and see if I can figure out how to make grayscale happen. I'm also in talks with a silk screener and uh, possibly be able to put color back onto the panel as well. That's interesting. All right, Jimmy, thank you for your time today. I thank you for your patience as well. Yeah, no problem. And we'll be talking to you soon. I'm probably going to bug you a little bit more about this. And if anyone has any questions, I'll make sure I send them to you. Uh, congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on doing something that you can call your own with the snail armor and whoever knows however many things you guys have going. Uh, is this what you guys do now, essentially, or do you have like a nine to five? Yeah, no, this is this is it. Um, I do snail armor and snail trail 4x4, even though I haven't released a video in a while. Just life's been getting busy. I got married in the last year. And that Thank you. That uh, Now I have other responsibilities than sitting in the shop and playing. And then the podcast, and then my co-host Tyler makes Morphlate, which is a four-tire inflation deflation got device. It. I've so seen that too. Just, yeah, you just hook it all up to the tires and turn a ball valve, and it lets all the air out at once, and then you can go and hang out with your friends and talk to them while your vehicle's airing down, and you can bother them and ask them why they're leaning over a tire and having to work on one tire at a time and or pulling valve cores out and... And then on the way, you know, the opposite side, you just connect it to all four tires and then air, put the co air compressor to it and airs all four of them up at the same time, equalizes the tires. So it's actually, I'm working, uh, talking with another uh, YouTuber, uh, Blake's Garage. He does a lot of BMW racing, right. autocross kind of stuff. And I, I'm trying to see if this might be of interest to him because it will equalizes the tires better. And it would make them exactly the same PSI so that when he's driving around corners, it's, you know, he doesn't know if one tire is slightly lower than another tire. And we're going to play with that and see if that benefits him one way or another. But yeah, so that's, uh, that's Tyler's gig. He does more flates and then joins me on the podcast and I do the snail armor, snail trail videos and the podcast as well. And these are, we've now moved away from our day jobs and this is our full gig. Yeah. It's crazy. They are the heterosexual power couple living the dream. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Jet, how can we get a hold of you? Mainly the best way probably is on Instagram, Snail Trail 4x4. Um, if you want to email me, if you're not a social media person, you can email me too, Jimmy at SnailTrail4x4.com. Thanks, Jimmy. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I want to thank Jimmy for coming on. Awesome guest. Had a good time. But yeah, we, yeah, he's right. We We met in Clubhouse and just kind of followed each other. And that's... It's kind of embarrassing because I was like, hey, you know, I did the off-road thing. I want to hit up. Who do I know? Who do I know? Oh, yeah. Snail trail. Duh. And I went into the DMs and it was like, it was like a calendar year ago when I had hit him up last and told him that I would like to collab. Fortunately, he was still down. He's like, dude, let's do it. And I love that attitude because if I were him, I'd be like, dude, screw you. You asked me like a year ago. I told you I was down. And now you want me on your show? F off, broski. But no, he's super cool, and I can't wait to uh, to talk to him again. I have questions, especially after this last weekend. So we recorded that a few weeks ago, but, man, it's funny because I decided to make the the, the Infinity streetcar. 
after bouncing around with Yoshi and his Tacoma, and I banged my head up against the side of the truck because I just wasn't paying attention when he went over the rock at the time. We had a good laugh about it, but it was it, it hurt. We had decided that day, no off-road, fuck that. We're getting razors, we're getting Can-Ams. Moving forward, we're going to pay the two or $300 a day, whatever, much, however much it costs, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a lot better time, but I, I keep finding myself looking, especially after talking to Jimmy. Now I'm looking at, you know, 17-inch wheels, because before I was looking at like 15, 16, 18-inch, because my car is 21s. The Infinity comes with stock 21s. And I am just, it's hard. After getting beat up, yet you're still looking. You're looking at the wheels online. You're looking at the the 33s and the 36-inch tires and, you know, get that universal lift kit because there is there really is no aftermarket. And I posed a question online, and one of the people were like, oh, you need a Rubicon and you need this. I'm like, bro, I don't have it like that. Or I wasn't asking, hey, guys, what should I get that's more functional off-road than my Infinity, which is basically a street car. There's a ton of – first off, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a Rubicon. Sure, they're cool. They're obviously capable. I would get a Toyota, get a 4Runner or a Tacoma. You got to get what the pros got. But then you can't get something you care too much about because the guys who are really into it, they can't care about that shit. You replace, you get the, like he said, the the rock guard on the bottom to prevent your your oil pan from getting punctured and leaving you stranded. You got to get shit to protect your sides. I mean, Eric lost a few trim pieces in his Porsche Cayenne, which, by the way, speaking of Porsche Cayenne, afterwards when we got done, Jimmy said, you know what? The video you showed, the story of the Porsche Cayenne, that is one vehicle that I am super impressed with that I never would have thought could have done even the things that it did with you guys. So that's that's a vehicle that he was super impressed with that typically you wouldn't think could do some of this stuff. I thought I'd throw that in there. But, yeah, you got to get all this stuff, and the Infinity doesn't have it. But when you when you get the new, you get the steel fabricated front bumper and the rear bumper and you get the winch and you get the the rock guards on the sides, whatever they're called, you can't care that much about your vehicle. If you care about the paint, you better PPF that shit because when you're driving, you have to decide, am I going to go over the cliff or am I going to brush up against this dry-ass tree and this dead-ass branch on the road? And no one's going off that cliff. My stuff has scratches on it from last December or November when I went off-roading when I was the one that was keeping everybody, holding everybody up because my car wasn't made for that shit, although we made it through. You got to PPF the sides if you want to keep your paint nice or get a vehicle that you just can't tear, care that much about. You're going to put a lot more money into your suspension and your setup than you are your actual vehicle. That's the way to go. Getting ready to go out of town. Thinking about taking a show on the road. Let me know. Should I take it on the road? Should I take my microphone? It's been a long time since I've recorded a podcast episode in a hotel room. I originally was doing that. That's how I passed the time. That's how this podcast started. And uh, it's shitty quality, shitty audio, but I do have a Supreme microphone. I have much better equipment now. But you need to tell me. And you need to tell me fast because I'm leaving Thursday morning. Should I take my microphone? Should I take my recording equipment with me? Or should I drop some of the old episodes as classics? I have not taken a podcast break since I started doing this weekly. Every week, 
I get my podcast out on Monday morning, or in this case, Tuesday because of the holiday. Let me know. Hardparkerpodcast at gmail.com. Let me know. And if just five people reach out and say, take your show on the road, I'll do it. I'll take my show on the road. Where am I going? Toronto. I'll be in Toronto for two and a half weeks. Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Ontario. We'll be visiting Bob Chat. That's right, Bob Chat, who you've heard on this show. And I will be going to his house to record in his studio for his show. We're going to spend the day together. Day date with Bob Chat, Mr. Bob Marshall. That's going down. Maybe I can sequester our interview and just use that on my show. I, I don't know. You guys tell me what you want. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. What do you think? Right Honda, right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Four-wheel online, sellshop.us. And Fountain Hills Motorsports. Patreon business supporter, Cooley Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida. Pell Construction out of Caledonia, Michigan. I need to reach out to uh, to Mr. Kuya Automotive. I haven't heard him from him in a long time, but he still supports the show. Probably forgot. I shouldn't remind him because then maybe he'll cancel the support. RJ, are you out there? Special thanks to Mark Stoneman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Graves, Byron Jones, Bo Jung, Alice Kamina, and Drew Bunkley. Special shout out to Richard Graves. Does a lap, lap of the world uh, YouTube. He and his wife, Liz, did a video about trying to get that new NSX Type S. And they were not successful, but they did a very good video about it anyway and took a very um, a, a very practical approach to what happened for them. And it made a lot of sense. There's a lot of people out there complaining about cars, people complaining about the Porsche GT3s, how much expensive, how expensive they are. And it's all people do today is they, they, they complain about how much shit costs. Gas. It sucks. But we're all paying it. So shut up, buy it. It is what it is. The stock market crash sucks. Sucks for everybody. Crypto sucks. Sucks for everybody. If you're interested in picking up a podcast shirt, I do have them. I told you guys I was going to get them. I do have them. Hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Shirts are $25 shipped. Continental US. If you're international, you have to pay international shipping. I ain't paying for that shit. I'm not giving you a shirt. But what I can say is 100% of the sales do go toward Right Honda and Right Toyota to fund a local humanitarian effort, which means I don't keep any of the money, and I'm glad because I want to make a difference, and they're helping me make that difference. So you get a super cool shirt. I'm a shirt snob. Very, very, very nice material. It's going to go toward a great cause. If you want to follow me on Instagram, follow me at jfinning. That's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G or J Travels, J H A underscore Travels, join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group. We don't bite. I don't bite. Don't bite that hard. Or just Facebook Hard Parking Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube Hard Parking Podcast as well, or Hard Parking Media. Got the Tesla video out. Not a lot of people are watching it because people suck, but it's a really good video according to the people who have watched it, so make sure you check it out. Again, you have to go to the YouTube Hard Parking Podcast and look at the Tesla video. I can't grow without you telling the world how great this show is. So let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. And maybe I'll talk to you all next week. Maybe you'll get the best of show. It's up to you. A beater. Shut up!